Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business where your future is without boundaries and our approach is to. I am joined as always with my incredible co-host Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello Biagio! Ciao a tutti! Welcome, welcome to another great episode. For this episode, The Gateway is Proud to welcome Vice President of Student Affairs for Northern Illinois University, Dr. Clint Michael Renault. Dr. Renault, it is a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with all of you. It's a pleasure to be with our esteemed students from the College of Business. It's a pleasure to be with you, Dr. Devereaux. I guess it'll be it's all right to be with Dr. Palese too, since he decided to come back and join us from Italy. Um, we won't hold that against him. Uh, but it's 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 good to see you back in this country. We're glad to see you back. And I'm excited anytime I get to be in communication and, and connection with students. It's always exciting. Perfect. I think that's a great jumping off point. And with these conversations, I always like to start at that beginning. Um, I think for a lot of students, when you're going to campus, when you're here, it, it, when you're working with the professionals, with people like yourself, Dr. Renault, it, it seems kind of a mystery of how you end up in this job, in this profession, in this this life's work. So how did you get here? What was your path like? Yeah, so to be honest with you, I, um, you know, my mom's British. My dad is from Texas. Uh, when they divorced, I went back and forth. And I, uh, when, you know, my, my mom and I were in Texas, I lived in a trailer park. Uh, we had, we were poor, um, had you know, financially struggled quite a bit. Uh, first generation students, college students. Um, you know, I remember going through school and while I was doing well in things like English and communication and, and you know, history and all these things and did really well in that, I always struggled with math. We didn't have the time, we didn't have the money or even really the kind of the, cultural capital to understand that I could be tested for a disability or understand what that even really looked like. And so I struggled and I didn't really think college was for me. I ended up, um, you know, I ended up, I started off at a community college. So I'm a product of community college system. And I um, experienced, you know, a, a starting kind of a community college later in the game. And then I ended up figuring out how to transfer to a, a four-year college and when I was there, so I'm I'm in Texas, I'm um, struggling with an undiagnosed disability, and I'm a uh, a kid who is in a very hyper masculine college environment, trying to figure out my sexual identity in the midst of all of this, and then as a first gen, trying to figure out what it's like working three jobs while I'm at school, and so um, it got to a point where. I uh, I had an assistant dean of students who saw me one day, and she's you know she just looked at me and she said you look really sad today and I didn't know her from anyone, and she ended up making a connection with me and for the first time in my college experience, I felt like I was seen, and that I mattered, and so what happened was she got me connected to disability services, um, she got me connected to counseling services, and. I, wor I worked through what it meant to be diagnosed with a disability, 
to have that as part of my identity. I worked through what it meant having to understand how to use accommodations. I, I had to work through what it meant um, kind of identifying as a, as a gay male in Texas at that time in the South and, and figuring out all of these things, right? And so it was multiple truths being held at once. And so when I graduated, finally, I wasn't one of these students that graduated in four years. It took me nearly seven years. I was there six and a half years before I graduated. And um, I eventually left. I returned to London. I worked for the BBC and worked for a show called The X Factor. And then I, um, and so when I was doing it, it was like One Direction, Leona Lewis, all that kind of stuff were happening with that, with that program. And so then I ended up um, going back and getting a certification. And so I taught and I, I started on the academic side of the house in, in college. I taught English and I taught communication studies. And then I got another certification and I worked uh, with special education and, and working for disability services. And then I took over student conduct and that type of thing. And then the assistant dean who saw me in college um, called me and she had become an, a, a vice president, assistant vice president and vice president. And they told me the work that you're doing and the passion that we see and that we know about you, you need to do it on a level at a college in the States. We want you to come, come back and we want you to do it here. And so that's what I did. I came back to the States. I got my master's in counseling. And then um, again, I'm not ashamed. I went into that program uh, on probation. And I remember someone saying to me, well, you know, grad school material, you know, with this, with the math at that time, I think we had to take a, a, one of the standardized, you know, the GRE or whatever the case may be. And my uh, undergrad math scores were, were not great. So that I went on probation. I remember I went in with a lot of shame around that, thinking I will never be anything in this field because I uh, cannot, you know, this this grade that I have behind me. And I ended up excelling. And I excelled in grad school and um, and got a doctorate. You know, I ended up getting a doctorate. And I worked, I've worked all over the country in student affairs in different capacities. And so, you know, the, the um, Dr. Brene Brown, some of you may be familiar with her work on vulnerability, says who we are is how we lead. And so those parts of my identity, the parts that I hold and the parts that you hold will be how you lead. It shows up and it matters and stories matter. And so that's what I always lead with in telling about how I ended up here. I ended up here because I was a student who had been pressed into the margins. Um, you know, I'd had a dean of a college tell me, uh, higher ed is not for people like you. And you need to go and leave and, and go into a trade. And this is, you're not going to ever receive a four-year degree. And so, you know, I I get that. And so now it's important to really think about how I can use this as a platform. This role provides me a platform. And so every day I'm really contemplative of how I use this platform to share knowledge, to educate, to lead with intention, to provide uplift. And that's what it's really about. I find myself really moved by your story. And I know that on our campus, every single one of our students proudly brings their own story. And, and that's where I think we as Huskies are able to kind of separate ourselves from maybe some of those more uh, like elite kind of divided out institutions where we have students that are working three jobs that are doing that stuff. Um, and, and I like I I like that. That's that's why we're all part of this community. Um, 
I just want to take a moment and acknowledge that I think a lot of times our students see people like yourselves and say, oh, like that's that's where you're at. Great. Like you right. always were on that track. You know, you were right. always headed down that path. And I, I like hearing those stories that it's like, no, you can be someone of a of a prestigious position of a, a platform that is able to make a difference, but not someone that was set out from that from the beginning it wasn't like you were you know on here you were on the track to go to harvard and it was all right. set up for you um do you do you find that easier than to relate with students because of that or or do, do you almost find a disconnect that students still treat you in that way that that they automatically assume maybe you were on a different path and, and how do you kind of bridge that gap then i think it's both and i think um a, you, I think I really work hard to be in student spaces and to have a presence with students and to, to build rapport. I'm a firm believer that you cannot lead people that you don't love. And I have a genuine love for our students. I have a genuine love for the type of students we have here, right? Uh, it can be gritty. It can be, uh, you have to display tenacity and uh, resilience and and those types of things and so I I appreciate that I think what I found is that when students see me showing up or they know that I'm willing to put skin in the game and also I'm pretty open about who I am um, because the truth of the matter is is that at 19 I wasn't thinking about college I, I didn't know it was I was you know I was a Dude, I was a, I was a trailer park kid, kind of just bigger than I. Well, I, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. I figured I was going to work a, some kind of job, and and you know, I didn't have it mirrored for me in my life of of folks going to school. Um, and so what I would say is, I think you have to, um, at a certain point, you have to get real clarity around. Uh, it's not what. Your daddy did to you. It's not what your mama didn't do to you for you. It's not what has happened in life before. But at some point, I had to get real clarity around the intention with my life and learning how to sit in the driver's seat of my life and building a way and making a way. And so setting the, the foundation of the road that I wanted to be on, setting the foundation for it. And so um, I may not have ever imagined that I would be sitting in a seat as a vice president and being called doctor, but I knew my next had to be greater than my now. And I knew that I had to start thinking intentionally about what it was, what were the building blocks that I was going to put and, and start layering. What kind of experiences did I want for myself? How did I want the trajectory of my life to change from the generations previous to me? And how, how do I get there, right? And so that meant talking to people and, and being really aware of the circles that I placed myself in. Mentor, and I have a little M, mentor. And so... I big M's are people that I know personally who I have sought out and who mentor and, and support me and that I know. Little M mentors are folks that I follow on LinkedIn or folks that I watch on YouTube or folks that I see on Instagram that inspire me or 
uh, educational leaders or or change agents that I read and follow and watch speeches speeches on or read their essays or read whatever, and I learn from them from afar. But I have a list of both, right? I have a list of both, and so I learned that at an early age, um, you get the network that you build. And so I started being really responsible about the network that I built and how I was intentionally cultivating those relationships and how that was pouring into me. Um, because part of what I will tell you is you have to be very intentional with the way you develop yourself so that you can see a vision beyond where you are in your current situation. Because I knew I could not always sit in that situation that I was in. And if I wanted to have a different life and it looked different than maybe what I had grown up with, I had to be intentional about making that happen. It wasn't going to just happen to me or for me. I had to build that. And so I would that, you know, I would I say that's how I kind of approached it. And that's how I try to work with students around thinking about how their next can be greater than their now. I'm taking a moment and just letting that all soak in, Dr. Renault, because that, that was truly moving for me. So thank you again for, for showing that vulnerability and, and to show kind of that intentionality, which I think a lot of times it's easy to show up every day and just kind of be and then wonder why we're not where we want to be. Yeah. Um, as as I was preparing for this conversation, I was, I was looking at some of your research and these conversations are meant to be very uh, just casual, but I, I do think your specific research within your PhD is very um, insightful to, to where you are now. Would you mind for our listeners giving just kind of a general overview of, of your approach to the research and what you kind of did and where that I think I've seen it still impact and lead your leading at NIU and in your mm -hmm. current one. That's just my opinion, but mm -hmm. I, I could be wrong. But if if that's something you're comfortable with. Yeah, absolutely. I um, So again, through the divorce, um, through some of my family experiences, through a kind of very traditional hyper-masculine environment I grew up in, I grew up in with, with some pretty negative and quite frankly harmful um, experiences with masculinity and with toxicity around masculinity. And to the point where um, it kept me in fear of my identity, of who, who, I, who I was, who I am. It kept me... Um, closeted for quite a long time. It kept me in a space where I uh, had a lot of health concerns around, you know, worth. Am I worthy? Can I, am I, am I normal? Am I, you know, where I contemplated suicide, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. This, this idea, this, when you have this toxic masculinity repeatedly that's surrounding you in this swirl, um, I, I got caught up in it. Right, I got caught up in it, and it. I performed it. I engaged with it. I enacted it. I was harmed by it. It, it. it was a. It was a cycle. And so, what I knew, to be certain, is that when I when I started working in this field, um, and especially when I was a dean and when I was working student conduct and that kind of thing, I saw men coming, male-identified students 
coming to the table, um, having done some things, having made some choices behavior-wise that were negative, right? But not only were they negative to the community in which they lived on a campus or that they were involved with on a campus, they were also um, harmful and traumatic for the person living it, right? And for the, those in, in the communities around them. And what it was, was this idea, this hyper masculine behavior, this hyper toxic kind of behavior performing and playing out and thinking that, um, you know, that everything was in excess, whether it was drinking or drugs or whether it was uh, using uh, risky sexual behavior or whether it was using um, physical violence or whether it was using whatever the case may be, fill in the blank for a number of things to be devoid of feeling whatever it is that's at the root of what it is that you're feeling. And I say this not to blame. I say this because I've been there and done that, right? I'm not saying I have, I, I've been there and done it. You can fill in the blank. And I've, uh, you know, I've been there. I tell students all the time, what you're gonna tell me is not gonna shock me because I've lived a life where I've experienced a lot of stuff too. And so I researched and did this work on um, men and masculinity because I felt there had to be a better way, right? There has to be a better way. And when I was at uh, one of the institutions I worked at, I created a, um, a, a retreat weekend. And, you know, we took 60 male-identified students, half of them, were either about to be suspended or expelled from the university. Half of them were um, really uh, kind of inspiring, inspirational leaders, athletes doing really well, and neither knew why the other was there. Um, and it was just to really have a group and a community where we had to face one another as men and have some courageous conversations about vulnerability about fear, pain, um, aspirations, hope, dreams, um, love, loss, all that kind of thing. And so when I uh, leave now, you know, when I was at Cal State Fullerton, I helped um, work with our veterans and I developed a, a program with the vets, you know, using Brene Brown's Dare to Lead work on vulnerability. Um, and so I really think that that's one of the strongest tools that we can work with men is because when we work with men on um, healthy behaviors and, and healthy male identity, we can um, we can impact real change and we can impact a, a healing uh, space for a lot of people and the and the effects, the ripple effects where that comes from. No, Biagio, I'll let you jump in. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm headstrong in this conversation. I'm just really moved by no, it, moved by yes. it. Um, it's it's. I've been working with uh, with uh, Doctor Renault, and I've been knowing him. But uh, you know, now uh, listening to to his words resonate, and and truly they can have an impact on our listeners. So I, I thank you him because you know sharing is not always the easiest thing to do. Uh, but I also think that some of the messages he said are are truly inspirational, and especially in this society, you know, sometimes we tend to emulate. Uh, you know, somebody has 
so many followers for some of the things that he does, that that's the right way to do things. And we assume that that's the right way to do things, but uh, there is always a different way. And uh, the part that works with somebody doesn't mean it's gonna work with you. And, right. and I think that it's also like, how do you live with yourself to following a path that is not for you? Okay. Um, each one of us is is a different story, and and this episode is about Doctor Eno and not me. But uh, it's true; nobody has the red carpet to get where we are, and many of us has to go through resilience episodes and never giving up uh, to what for us was our dreams or what we were inspired to doing. Uh, and and I think again, the message on social media nowadays is always, you know, the kind of the easy way out or the, you know, I can do this and that's going to be good enough. Uh, it might be good enough for now, but maybe a big roadblock for what you can be. Right. Uh, and, and that's why, like, I, I think it's so important to, to have people in, in our podcast that they cannot show them that, you know, uh, is, is, is more, is more, I think you have more satisfaction doing this job than any other job you could be doing. I see your passion in every single <laughs> LinkedIn post I see from you posting. And I see the passion that you put into the student that participate to your events. Uh, and, you know, in the position that you are, uh, bringing together a campus is, is not an easy thing to do. And I wish I can engage the student as well as you do. Uh, just, just because, again, uh, I, our goal is to make them uh you know lead them to a better future lead them yeah. to whatever dreams they have yeah. uh impact their life in a positive way like some of the educators that i have in the past uh had an impact on me so i and i hope this did, yeah absolutely dr place and and the, the you nailed it on the head and the, the thing is um the other thing that i want us to be very very aware of right is that you know you brought up social media and a lot of times I've had students come in my office crying or upset and they talk about, oh, I see someone's post and their, you know, their life looks so good or their life. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm always going to say, boo, <laughs> don't believe the hype, right? Like it's, yeah. what you see on social media is like one, one small fraction, right? You don't know the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. You don't know the stuff that's going on in someone's family. You don't know the stuff that's going on with someone's relationship or their money issues or if their money's funny or whatever. This, you know, you, there's a lot of stuff going on. And so don't get caught up in, in also the manufactured parts either. Um, and the path to the path to feeling um you know, every what I always tell students is this, and what I always tell any teams I lead is this, is that we are all facilitators of people in process. And that includes us, it includes ourselves. And so the path to success or the path to getting to your, your next is never going to be linear. You know, Dr. Devereaux, Dr. Palacio can tell you they that the roads that they've had, have not, it's not been a straight shot. Uh, I can tell you mine certainly hasn't been a straight shot. Yours on this call, I would imagine, has not been a straight shot. And so just know you're never going to have a linear path, right? And when you think you've got this 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 life mapped out, oh, trust and believe life is going to look at you and say, oh, that's cute. That's real hmm. cute. Okay, that's cute. I got something for you right here. And bam. And then the fact is you will hit the ground. It's not about you hitting the ground. Hitting the ground is going to happen. And I'm going to tell you it's going to happen again and again and again. 
and the three of us, I would say, hit the ground. Uh, you know, I I probably hit the ground once a week at least, right? But it's not about hitting the ground. It's about how long you stay on the ground and when you get back up. And so I would just tell you that um, the most important work you will ever do, the most important work you will ever do will not be about job title, will not be about salary, will not be about positionality. The most important work you will ever do begins with the self. It will begin with the healing work that you're doing on yourself, the introspection, the self-reflection. Because if you don't address whatever is happening on the inside of you, whatever imposter syndrome, that voice that sneaks up and says, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not thin enough, you're not fast enough, you're not whatever, fill in the blank. That imposter syndrome, if you don't do the work on that, if you don't do the work on the baggage that we carry into rooms and trust and believe every one of us has baggage that we carry into a room, we've all got a little suitcase with us and we're pulling it around with us. And if you think that uh, you're not, I hate to tell you, you, you got the baggage somewhere. And so learning about when you set that bag outside of the room or when you set, sometimes I, I use the analogy of a, a the 10 year old kid that follows you that needed to hear something that they never heard. When you tell that 10 year old version of you, you need to sit outside this room, I got this. You know, in, when you don't do the work around that, that's gonna bubble up and it's gonna bleed out into spaces. And it can it can sabotage you, and it can um, and you can sabotage yourself. And so my the advice that I will always tell you is do the self work. That is the you are the most important work you will ever do. You are. And so uh, until you get that figured out, um, you will cut you will, you will bleed onto people who never cut you. And so you've got to remember to do that self work. It all starts with you. Yeah. Dr. Renault, I, I feel like in your work, in your research, in your position, in your intentionality, as you're you're trying to be in spaces with students, with people, with with human beings that are carrying that baggage, that are coming from maybe a place of hurt or anger or just just life, just all of those things that we were talking about. Um, as someone with a counseling background, a lot of times when we're talking about con counseling and and having that that almost that therapeutic relationship there there's a professional distance that needs to be kept within there to 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 be able to be that person you in in your current role don't necessarily have a therapeutic role but i, I feel like you are being intentional about being able to show vulnerability to expose some of those things so how do you then navigate that professional distance while still trying to make a difference while being close enough to say i care i'm here with without it's I only ask that because sometimes yeah. it's difficult for me if if I'm actually saying anything I mean, intelligible. <laughs> I remember I found a, you know and in this job, I deal with a lot of crisis, right? So when I when there's suicidal ideation or when there's been a a, a, a car accident or a death on campus, right, when right. there's um, you know, a significant major crisis, you know i'm the, I'm the one that gets called. And so I, you know, there's been times in my career where, and I still struggle with that, but I, I, it, it's a lot to land on and it's a lot to land on you and to carry that. And what I've had to remind myself and what I've had to remind my team about being really intentional is the work can get very heavy. 
um, and the spaces and places that we're in with students sometimes can get very heavy. But what I've become better about, and again, it's it's not, I'm not exceptional at it, but what I've become better about and what I help my teams remember is that you walk alongside someone in their pain. Um, you don't carry them, you don't carry their pain, right? The fact is, is that people are going to come to you and all of you, I would imagine on this call, I've had people come to you and wanting to lay stones at your feet, stones that they're carrying, that kind of stuff. And what I have to remind myself and what I would remind others is that not every stone that is laid at your feet is yours to pick up and carry. We can advise, we can support, we can listen, but we can't solve, right? You know, a person has to solve their own stuff. You can advise, you can listen, you can support, you can't solve and you don't fix. We don't fix people, right? And so um, you can walk alongside with someone, but you can't carry their stuff. And, you know, I've had to be, um, you know, I've learned in my life that sometimes I've had to be for others what nobody has been to me. And that and earlier on, and sometimes still, it, it was hard to, to pull from that and differentiate and kind of separate from that about wanting to, because if you, you think you know where they're going to walk or where the landmines are and you see them going in that direction. Um, and again, for your own clarity um, and for your own sanity, at some point you have to give yourself permission to realize I'm walking with you on this journey. I'm not walking for you. I'm not, I'm, I'm, holding space for, I'm not carrying the trauma, the pain, the stones, the whatever, well, I can't carry it. That's a very powerful distinction to, to make. And there's there's no real good way to pivot into to some of the lighter stuff of your job. But I do want to acknowledge that I think you you have a really cool job as well. In, oh, in, I have, in a, America, I'm right? one of, listen, man, I have one of the coolest, <laughs> I, I am so, I have one of the coolest things. Dude, we we do so many fun things and just getting to be around the energy and the enthusiasm of our students is so beautiful. Like, please, I got I've got the best. It's awesome. Right, right. So then as you're um as as we've kind of shifted now, I think, through the the lockdown of COVID and, and really kind of reintegrated back into maybe more of a traditional or a, a normal campus. Um how are you or, or how are you thinking about technology, all of these wonderful new tools that are coming out and the impact on a traditional live in, be here campus and still making those connections? I mean, what we're doing right now is a perfect example of how that's shifting, but but then there's still those moments of, hey, we, we need to be intentional. We need to connect. Yeah. And 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 how, how are you kind of trying to bridge that at, at a high level yeah. for our campus? So things like this, your awesome podcast, which y'all do an amazing job, by the way. I, I, I am always impressed with y'all. I've been following you. I've been uh, kind of fangirling y'all for a while now. <laughs> we, we are honored to have you. So <laughs> y'all are, are, are big time. I'm just trying to I'm trying to get on y'all's level. Um, 
And so what I would say is, um, you know, po you know, once we're we're in this different phase of this this world now, um, in this different stage of a uh, kind of a post pandemic, and what I would say is that we've seen coming back um, students. So this this type of thing affords us more of an access, right? There's an equity piece here. There's an access piece where I'm getting in, into spaces, hearing things, being able to make this happen. Um, and so that's really cool. And I appreciate that. And I do. I think that it, it does a lot of great things. However, I also realized by the numbers of students that we're seeing at events, um, you know, Night at Homes, our um, homecoming edition had 1,200 students at it. Our Night at Homes at the Week of Welcome edition had 1,500 students at it. Our block party had, you know, 1,400 students at it. Um, you know, just these events are having these significant numbers because people um, want to connect. You know, at the, at the end of the day, what I've learned, the most significant thing in my leadership journey is that I've learned that the common denominator in the human experience is validation. All people want to be validated, all of us. And we all want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? And does what I say matter? Do you see me? Do you hear me? And does what I say matter? And so being able to be in space and community with one another and have this validation of being seen and heard um, and feel as if you mattered and celebrated, that's important. And so uh, I think that we have to have a mixture of both, right? So things like this where we can, uh, you know, if if um, if I'm driving in my car or if I'm, listen, if I'm uh, laying on my couch and, and not trying to look cute, and but I want to listen to what the experience is and I don't need y'all to see me, that's one thing too. Or if I need to, to you know, if I'm a, a single parent and I've got kids and I'm picking up somebody from school, but I still want to listen and learn, that's that's great. But also there's times where you want to be, um, around folks and so it's a it's a both and whatever we're going to do uh it's not going to go back to a traditional way of of this experience where we're doing one only right it's i think it's going to be a both end and it's going to be this kind of hybrid experience that we bring on and, and make options available for for both throughout the year and it, i mean if i can jump in uh, i think i think one important and very underestimated aspect of of college and one thing that gives me very positive about you know college keep going and not just be replaced by online education and stuff like that is the fact that when you are on campus which can be in the class which to me is it's always hard to have my students talk to each other they they probably text to each other while i'm talking or i don't know what they're doing but but when you are in the class you have a unique opportunity or in whatever space you have a unique opportunity to get to know somebody that's somebody that might seem just, I don't know, uh, somebody with a strong Italian accent, or it can be whatever it is, right? Uh, but that can somebody can... An amazing you know, Italian accent. <laughs> amazing Italian accent. Uh, but that somebody can be actually, you know, changing your life for good, because it can be a co-founder of a company that you were thinking about it, but you just didn't have the skills to build, or it can be somebody right. that guides you from through you know adversity or it can be somebody that you share passion and you would not be able to connect if you you know you were not put in that position uh, i think that's that's an element that is always underestimated also because of the fact that it's changing the way we are communicating 
yeah. not not me, but you know, younger 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 folks tend to you know uh, stay on their phone rather than say, oh, let me ask what is the guy next to me doing, what he likes, right. and and so on right. and so forth. So you when you build those when you create those events. Uh, of course, on larger scales, they just to be in class. I, I think you great you creating for them huge opportunities for networking and and you know just to see how awesome the people in, on this campus are. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. And it's also helping remind us that uh, because let's be honest, we needed a refresher course once we came back of really actually how to be in person and have a courageous conversation and a honest conversation and and be in front of one another in conversation versus, you know, sometimes we can get real big and bold on a phone mm -hmm. or, texting or posting on- Beyond that keyboard. <laughs> we get real big and bold with some of our words and it's like, uh, hold up, let's learn to, let's learn to do this in person. Let's learn to have a conversation that can be civil and appropriate and, and mean what we, what we're trying to actually say. As, as we're talking uh, about those the, that intentionality and in, in connecting again um with your experience is there one quality one aspect one decision that that you made that that really you've kind of seen has been a catalyst to a lot of your success or that you would kind of say, Hey, if you can really try and pin down this, that, that that's essential or something that you have to have. I'm trying to find like a, a little clip that we can kind of tell like this, this is really been, this is something that's really pushed me forward. Yeah. I think I'm going to be honest with you. I, um, I got to a point where, so no matter what my title is, um, my calling and my passion will always be educator. And so I, mm -hmm. yeah, I may be a vice president, but my passion and my calling is education. Now I do teach, I teach here in the College of Education, but I also, I, it doesn't have to be formally, right? I could, I feel that I have to utilize a platform with intentionality. And my calling, I believe, brings me into community with people to help them try to understand uplift and what it means to be intentional around intentionality with your life. And I feel like that's really something important that I have to do and that I need to do. And so I kind of learned early on, or maybe in my, yeah, early 20s, I guess, that are, I I knew, again, I wanted, I didn't want to stay in the same place um, where, you know, a lot of, and then the thing against people from my high school or the communities where I, which I, I came, I know there was collective wisdom in that community that raised me, that grew me, the collective wisdom that I carry with me to this day, right? But I knew I needed and wanted to be somewhere different. And so that was a choice I made. And so I had a vision. That was my first vision somewhere different. I may not have known exactly what that meant, but I knew I needed something. That was the first thing. So when your life speaks to you, listen to what it says. And so when you have a vision, um, you have when you have a vision, you stand for it, you stand with it, you stand in it, even if that means you're standing by yourself. And so I, again, I didn't necessarily have 
the support systems or the foundational pillars in place. But what I knew enough was I knew that I was a young adult who survived some pretty horrific stuff by that age. So that taught me I was a survivor. That taught me that I had some grit and it taught me that I had some resiliency, right? I knew that I had uh, some privileged identities and some dominant identities. And I have some subordinate identities and some oppressed identities. And so I needed to understand how those played out in my life and how I utilize the dominant identities that I have in a way that enacts justice and works at building a longer table rather than a higher wall and how I'm trying to make the circle um, more encompassing rather than shrinking it and thinking about how I serve communities in ways thinking about those who are historically pressed into the margins. So I knew that kind of with some clarity. Um, I knew that, that's what I knew about myself pretty clearly. And so the third thing that I came to realize was um, when you have a chance to bet, always bet on yourself, always bet on yourself. And so if I was gonna bet on myself, that meant I, um, A, needed to start doing my homework about what it was that um, I wanted to try to do. And so I'm a learner. So I learn as much as I can about something. Now I will never admit, I will never say I'm the smartest man in the room, uh, but I will have done my homework, right? And what I will say is I know how to work a room and I can build network. So I would say thinking about um, when you bet on yourself, then you light that fire and you go. And then you start thinking about the next step. It doesn't need to be 20 steps from now, right? I still have plans for my future, things I want to do three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, right? But what I'm doing is I'm not worrying about that third, five, 10-year mark. I'm worrying about, okay, what is the next best step, right? What's the next, the next best step? So I do that next best thing. All right. Then what is the next best step after that? And so thinking about when you have a goal, you know, maybe you have a career in mind that you want to do or a job in mind that you want to do. And um, yeah, I'm going to be honest with you, when you're in your 20s, you're not going to, listen, I'm going to tell you, my behind, I came out of school thinking, I came out of college thinking I was going to be the, the lead news anchor on the BBC News, nightly news. I thought it, I had a communications degree. I thought the BBC, I did an internship there in London when I was in undergrad. I thought, surely they're going to uh, they're gonna invite me. I'm going to be the, the head uh, newscaster. I'm going to be up on this newscast. Yeah, life didn't work out that way, boo. It, it doesn't happen. <laughs> so you're not coming out of your job in your 20s landing your, your dream exact job, right? Sometimes you're going to be doing some grunt work for a while. Sometimes you're going to be doing some stuff that's not pretty. Sometimes you're going to be doing stuff that sucks. But what I did was I started looking at jobs that I was drawn to or and that kind of stuff. And I started looking at the preferred qualifications and I kept a file on my computer. What are the preferred qualifications? And I'd highlight them all the time. And so then I found ways to get experience in that. And so every chance I had a, an opportunity to get experience in something that would stretch me, every chance that I had an opportunity to say yes to something, to grow me, that's what I did. And so I would say again, intentionality, the belief in yourself and saying yes. 
and, and moving into the, those lanes and having a vision. And once you have that vision, you stand in it, you stand for it, you stand with it, even if that means standing by yourself. Russ, Russ, there is no much that, yeah, there is not much we can add. I mean, Clint Michael can definitely run the show by itself. But but I think one one thing that uh again I wanna emphasize and from my point of view is um I mean a couple of things, right? I, I love that you said that you are a learner and, and I think it's it's key because we never really are done learning. You can have a PhD, a postdoc, whatever it is, but you're not done learning every everything that is happening right now at the speed that is happening, uh, it can be done. Like you can get your degree in, in accounting, but in three years, you know, it's a completely different world. So you have to continue to learn and adapt. Uh, but uh, the other thing that to me is key is uh, when you have opportunity, right? When you have opportunity, which can be coming into this podcast or being in a class with a professor, a class that you think, uh, I don't know, I don't know. There is coding. I'm scared of coding. Coding is not for me. Go there with an open mind yep. and put your under percent in it because you never know. Like I <laughs> I was in my master in, in Italy and I was like, oh, I want to do a finance. I want to be a broker. I want to go to London and, and do that. And then I went Look to this. trying to be in those those suits and London. Yeah, I yeah. Okay, and I now in t shirt in T-shirt. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I see you. But. But but like I went to this class and it was at my first and only information uh, system class and I had this professor and you know I I just like kept wanted to you know, learn more about it and it changed my life. I did a PhD in information systems and I'm teaching information system and I'm so passionate about technology that I didn't think I could be. Yeah. Uh, and just because I give it an opportunity, I didn't take the class just to get a grade and graduate just because I needed that piece of paper that just because it was a good thing on my resume but I immersed myself in it and try to get that opportunity to bring to the next level by putting my 100% paid off uh, because I'm still doing some research related to my master dissertation so it's it, you never know yeah a lot of my students say I, I don't like coding I'm scared of coding but then <laughs> towards the end of the semester they say I wish we could do a little bit more I wish you know, it's uh, it's life is amazing because it creates opportunity for you and especially students that pay to be in class, they yeah. should take them as a learning opportunity, not as a you know great opportunity. For me, that's that's key. Uh, Russ knows me. I can go on and on on this, uh, but but truly that that makes a difference. If you put your hundred percent into something rather than just be there because you have to be there makes a huge difference for you and makes a huge difference for your professor and the people that are around you. You make it better for everybody. You elevate their experience of everything you do. So I, again, if I can't stress this enough, I think it's, it's, it's game changer. And I'm very glad that you pointed that out. And if you, if you act like you've arrived, right. Oh yeah. Like you're, if you act like you've arrived, you act like you stopped learning, like you've learned it all, man, listen, you're going to get passed up real quick. You're going to get passed up real quick and you're going to get, you know, you're going to get left behind. And and it also, I think it shows a, a place of ego, working from a place of ego. Um, we should always be able to, to, to be in the process of becoming and learning, right? 
Ooh, this is very powerful. And I'm very grateful for, for your time, Dr. Renault. And I want to ask one simple question as we're coming to the end of the semester. Are there any events or anything like that for our listeners that you want to kind of highlight right now? I know I'm going to take a moment and the College of Business has a whole stress relief week coming up. So make sure you're checking out those events. But Dr. Um, Renault, anything you want to highlight? So yeah, so we will have, there's going to be, um, you know, the, the Center for Student Assistance and our counseling department will have our therapy dog uh, chilling with Chance. If you've seen Chan, uh, Chase around, if you've seen Chase, he's a cutie. We've got um, Monday, Campus Activities Board, CAB will be hosting a Winter Wonderland at MLK. Commons at five, there's going to be all kinds of kind of Winter Wonderland theme with also a stress relief with a petting zoo. We're hosting a petting zoo. And so y'all bringing a lot of animals to campus. And so if you want to <laughs> hang out with the animals that we're bringing to campus for you to love on and, and do some goat yoga and playing with some pigs and uh, I don't know what, uh, what other crazy stuff's happening, but we got, we got all kinds of animals that will be up in there. Um, and then we will be doing a late night breakfast uh, in the for finals um, on Monday the 11th, Monday the 11th, open to all students. We're doing a free uh, breakfast, full breakfast with lots of events in the HSC from 9 until 11. We'd love to see you then. But again, we just appreciate how you're turning out in such tremendous ways. And, and this has been a, uh, you know, it's a long semester. You're at the you're at the home stretch. Um, you've got it in you. you, you've got it in you, you've got the ability, uh, finish as strong as you can, and then take your foot off the gas and take some time to pause, to breathe, to reflect, to sleep, to Netflix, to do whatever you're gonna do, to binge watch something, to chill out, to travel, to explore, whatever it is you're gonna do, take the time to kind of uh, fill your cup because you can't pour into others when your cup is empty. That is perfect. Thank you again so much, Dr. Renault, for your time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we wish you all a really good, happy holidays and awesome job on finals. Do all that good stuff. Thank you again so much for being here, Dr. Renault. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. And I appreciate it. And listen, anytime I get to, if I ever can come hang out with y'all again, I would love that. It's, this is, I, I told y'all I've been fangirling y'all for a long time. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by NIU's College of Business. Please make sure to subscribe to The Gateway. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. And if you are so inclined, please feel free to give us those five-star ratings, which help allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests to the gateway. Thank you all for listening, and remember to love always the promise of tomorrow today.